Hey guys, it's Kendra. And this is Jessica. And you're listening to Lucid Lab. We had a lot of fun last night. We did. Maybe you guys, <laughs> we put some pictures up. Yeah. Hopefully nothing too embarrassing. <laughs> we got a little happy by the end of the night. We did. We took a lot of pictures and some really funny videos we were just watching right before we started recording. <laughs> I don't think we'll post those. I don't no, know. No, those are for our personal <laughs> viewing pleasure. <laughs> we went to a concert. Yes. It's called the Wet Hot American Summer yeah. Tour and it's All American Rejects is yeah. the headliner mm-hmm. and there were four other bands it was Get Up Kids and the starting line, I think, were the two that we missed. That's right. And then we saw Motion Picture Soundtrack, Newfound Glory, yeah. and All American Rejects. Yeah. And it was so much fun. We didn't think we were going to miss the Get Up Kids, but apparently they were the first ones. We thought that they would have been I thought third. they would have been closer, yeah. but maybe I'm biased like- <laughs> because they're more my generation. But yeah, so I completely missed them, which I was a little disappointed, but it was fine. It was fine. We were having fun. We, were, <laughs> we went down to Larimer Square in Denver and we had a very fancy dinner mm-hmm. and it was delicious it was really really good <laughs> yes and then we took an uber over to the Fillmore mm-hmm. which neither of us had been to the Fillmore in years forever the last band I saw there was the used I didn't think the show was sold out but it was packed it was packed like crazy packed yeah. full of people and it was all you know everyone coming back to yeah. reminisce in their high school days yeah. on pop punk yeah everybody was in their late 30s I think it was something. fun <laughs> it was <Yeah>. great <laughs> at first we were standing in the back because Kendra had a friend who also went and they were standing behind the video camera guy yeah Yeah. and I was standing there for like a minute and I'm like this is not where I want to be I don't want to be in the crowd either and so I remembered the last couple times I went to the film where you could go to the side and that was packed too but (laughs) it was so funny because we went to go get a drink and there was this area that was VIP yeah and I just walked in we just did it (laughs) we just walked in and acted like we were supposed to be there and nobody said there were no guards checking tickets nothing and the people in there that were sitting down did have like little harnesses not harnesses lanyards lanyards on that clearly said they were VIP and they didn't seem to care we were just standing there we weren't in their way and so we were right next to the front row there was like eight people in there and there we were we were just right there (laughs) and that's where we stayed (laughs) we spent the entire time there it was a lot of fun really really fun I couldn't hear from all the way back there I was telling Drew that I'm like we were in the back and I don't know if the sound was something about the film or the sound if you weren't down on the floor like mm-hmm. right in front you could not hear what they were singing no it was yeah much better we got up there and then I got to like yell as loud as I could <laughs> I, I'm happy I still have a voice today because I she was had a singing lot of fun. very loud yeah at first it seemed like she was really annoying the dude next to us that paid for his place there yeah but then we noticed that no he just needed some time to come out of his shell I think he started singing <laughs> more too I think yeah. I like got his energy up because he was just kind of sitting there yeah. and then I kept singing I was being very conscious of not hitting him or anything when I was dancing around because I know that's annoying and I didn't want him to be like what are you supposed to be here uh no <laughs> I was like oh we can't leave I can't even go to the bathroom or they're gonna find out but nobody cared nobody cared we so. left and came back several and times we had access to the bathroom that no one went to <laughs> which was nice <laughs> Seriously, I walked back there and I'm pretty sure it was some of the band's grandmas and grandpas <laughs> back there because there was a ton of people who were like elderly and taking pictures and stuff. Yeah. And I think I ran into one of the dude's girlfriends back there. She was this tall, beautiful Hawaiian woman. Yes. <laughs> and she just gave me this look like, you're not supposed to be back here. 
it's okay. I'm just going potty. Just act like you're <laughs> supposed to be there. It's fine. And then we took a rickshaw. Yeah. I think that's what they're called. It's like a little wagon and it's someone that is... Bikes. Yeah. Yeah. And they play really loud music and it was really cold and he was going pretty fast. It felt like... Fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was an experience. We were joking before we went there that we wanted to ride one. Yeah. And then when we came out of the Fillmore, it was crazy. So many people, mm-hmm. everybody's waiting for Ubers. And this guy was just sitting there. Yeah. And we're like, will you go? Because we were a mile and a half away. And he's yeah. like, sure, I'll do it. And so <laughs> we jumped on and it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> That's where we took the videos that we yeah. probably won't show because <laughs> exactly. our hair is like wrapped around our head <laughs> and we're just making funny faces. And and then every time I thought she was taking a picture, it was a video. So there's like <laughs> I was like, no, we're taking a video. And then I would be trying to take it and we would hit a bump. And yeah. so my face would be like, oh. <laughs> and then on one of those bumps, I lost my phone. Yes. It flew into the <laughs> intersection. <laughs> he had to stop on the sidewalk and he like ran in the intersection to go get my phone. Yeah. So that was, was a bumpy fun. ride. So be careful <laughs> if you take those and you're holding your phone up. Yeah. Hold with both hands. <laughs> That was our big news. So we're recording now on a Saturday morning because we went out last night and we're actually feeling pretty good. Yeah. I was worried for a second when I woke up, but now I feel great. Yes. But taking it down a little bit, we do want to give a little update on my last episode with Julie Buskin and Anthony Sanchez. Anthony was executed. He was. It was a really hard day for me. It's still sitting with me. I don't know how to move past it because I came upon that case quickly. And it was like it was serendipitous so, in a yeah, way it how it came to you. So I really feel like we were meant to talk about it and question it. I really do feel like he's innocent and it wasn't him. And now he's not here. I know. And I was looking on the news site and I sent this to Jessica, but it said witnesses reported that Sanchez's last words were that he was innocent and that he didn't kill anyone. He added that his attorneys were the worst lawyers in the state of Oklahoma and that he's sorry to whoever has them as lawyers. That sucks. I do think some people when you're about to be executed might like say something like I'm sorry to the family or anything like that. He didn't say that because he was innocent. He did say some things like that. I think I read in the days before he was like, I understand this is hard for the family. I'm not the one who did it. There was a monster that killed their daughter but it wasn't me or something like that so he was empathizing with the family but to me the fact that right before you are going to die if you would want to clear your conscience and his last words were I didn't do this you know I'm innocent and to me I think he was probably innocent too in the case I'm doing today you'll see why when there is a question in the DNA I do believe he was innocent yeah and now he's gone That night was hard because I was writing this case and I knew that at any moment he was going to be executed. And it was just a weird place to be, Mm -hmm. like in my mind. But this story has some similarities and we're going to get to it. I also think we should talk about how we came across the cases that we're doing. We're into October now and we thought it would be interesting to do kind of a theme. And so we were looking at Halloween type stories. Each of us found a true crime Halloween story. And then we or I have another one coming up that will be more fun, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) As fun as we get. I mean, (laughs) we don't do, I don't know, comedy or anything here, but (laughs) it'll be a more light episode, I guess, than true crime. I don't know what I'm doing next, but you're going to get four Halloween Halloween type of shows. (laughs) And I hope you guys like it. And I'm thinking we might do the same thing around the Christmas holiday. too. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Today I'm covering the unsolved case of Arpana Janaga. Okay. I don't know Arpana. I do remember this story and it might have been because I went to Seattle because it's kind of based in the Seattle area. And so maybe I heard of it when I was there. 
when I went there, I was hanging out with a lot of people who went to the college there. Okay. So maybe so she was like a college student. She wasn't, but she was young. This was in 2008. That's why I think maybe I heard about it because I believe when I went to Seattle, it was like 2009, 2010. It was probably like in the news or something. But it's still a cold case today. Oh, man. Cold case in a weird way. We'll go over it. She threw a Halloween party alongside Mm -hmm. several others in her apartment complex. Okay. It was like kind of bar hopping from apartment to apartment. That sounds fun. Type of thing. Yeah, Yeah. It was like spooky fun. It sounds awesome. I don't want to do that now in life, but at the <laughs> when time when you're your young, 20s, that sounds like a great thing. All about yeah. it. I don't know. Uh, Jessica and Kendra that were out last night would have probably gone to <laughs> exactly we probably, two apartments. We probably would have, <laughs> but not today. <laughs> Different versions. We're gonna go through all of it, but let's get to know her a little bit. Arpana was born November 3rd, 1984 in Hyderabad, India, which is the capital of Telangana and one of the largest cities in India. Okay. Currently, there are 10.8 million people in Hyderabad metro area alone. Uh, that's a lot. Compared to Denver, it's massive. I think, Or it, even to New York City, I that's feel like. That's crazy. Yeah. There's a lot of people there. She has a younger sister, Pavitra. Her father, who I only found listed as BC, was a professor of computer engineering in India. And her mother, Nirmala, was a stay-at-home mom. As a child, Arpana showed promise in gymnastics, art, and writing, but ultimately followed in her father's footsteps. She became somewhat of a computer tech prodigy as a teenager. She competed in an IEEE hardware design contest. IEEE. IEEE. IEEE is still present today, and it's all about technological advances. She was noticed by universities and recruiters, and her little sister ultimately ended up following down the same path as well. I mean, that's a smart career choice, honestly. When Arpana was in higher secondary school, she was amazingly proficient in embedded systems, which I gathered is sort of like the equivalent of 10th to 12th grade. Okay. If there really is any comparison, because it's different education systems. In 2005, at the age of 21, she competed in another competition designing microchips and finished in the top 20. So this was an interesting competition. When I was reading about it, it kind of reminded me of those cooking shows like Chopped. Oh, okay. Or like the Great mm-hmm. British Baking Show or British Bake Off, whatever yes. it's called. Each contestant is given this design kit with all the same stuff and they have to create Figure something. It out. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> it is cool. She designed a communications jammer and she was in the top 20, like I said, but this is out of thousands of wow. people. And she was the only person that represented all of Asia in the top 20. Okay. So that was interesting. Later that same year, she was featured in the New Indian Express for Young Inventors. And her goal was to work for top companies and innovate before becoming a professor like her father. Okay. After graduating with her bachelor's from a prestigious university in India, her father suggested that she go abroad. Mm -hmm. She attended Rutgers University in New Jersey, where she earned her master's in electrical and computer engineering. She completed that in 2007. While in school at Rutgers, she still hadn't let go of her other creative interests, though. She was singing in a band at one point. Oh, yeah. Which is cool. I heard a snippet of her singing, and she really does have a really beautiful voice. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's cool. She was supposed to move back home to India at that point, but she was offered a job by a tech giant, EMC, which is now Dell EMC. She became a software assurance quality engineer for the company and moved to Redmond, Washington, which is just outside of Seattle, Mm -hmm. and it's on the other side of Lake Washington. That whole area is still one of my favorite places to ever be. I love the Pacific Northwest. I want to go now. (laughs) (laughs) 
I did just for fun, like look at tickets. Did you? Yeah, I was <laughs> After like, doing I can this go story. for a weekend. <laughs> I still want to go to Forks, Washington and see Me too. Uh, yeah, all the twilight. I've always wanted to go there. Especially this time of year because it's going to be know, more gloomy and just like what you would imagine it was mm-hmm. for the vampires. Twilight. <laughs> yes. I... In my younger years, when I traveled for sales, one of my main customers was in Seattle. So I got to go up there quite often. And then we, in my current job, I'd go there to see Amazon. So Seattle's definitely got a a little place in my heart. Me too. Redmond, though, is kind of known as its own little tech mecca. Okay. It was home for Microsoft and Nintendo. And she started at this new job in March of 2008. And she quickly made a name for herself and was considered a rising star in the company. And in just six months, she was promoted to lead programmer. Wow. When Arpana got there, she was first staying with a family friend before finding a place of her own. She moved into the Valley View Apartments in Redmond, which was just north of Marymore Park, which is a large wooded area with a river and lots of little parks and activities. The apartments were built into a hilly area overlooking downtown. Sounds beautiful. I know. Redmond was also a little posh. It was a more affluent area. There were lots of fancy, expensive places to dine. It was really meant for those that could afford more finer things in life. But these apartments were actually quite affordable. It was less than 800 for a one bedroom. In 2008, and I'm like, uh, (laughs) I mean, for Seattle area, for sure. Like when I moved to Colorado around that time, I think we paid 1400 for a two bedroom. Okay. So So, yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. She lived on the top floor in a complex in apartment 8946, which is a weird apartment number to me. It's not like it's it was a huge apartment complex. Just because it's like, so large. Was she on the eighth floor? No, it wasn't a huge apartment complex. That's what I'm saying. It's weird. I'm like, why not do... 105. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's keep it simple. But Arpana loved it. She loved the area. She felt like it was just this paradise. And she would send photos to family and friends. And she just loved after it was done raining and like all the drops and just how it felt there. She really did love it there. And I'm sure it was a lot more spacious than the city that she grew up in with 10 million people. Hugely. (laughs) She's in like a little (laughs) suburb of Seattle. I'm sure it felt wonderful. And she came from New Jersey too. So which is pretty packed out. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure she loved it. Most of the people living in these particular apartments were in their 20s. They were either in the service industry or construction. And some of them were in tech like her. Okay. Although she was new to the area and didn't know anyone at first, Arpana was easy to get along with. She was known to have a bubbly personality and she made friends really quickly. She submersed herself into the community. She was a bit of a risk taker and she loved to explore everything that life had to offer. At this point, Arpana is 24 years old. Okay. And even though she didn't know how to ride a motorcycle, she decided to buy one. What? Okay, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty badass. This is the type of girl but also kind of scary girl. I know. <laughs> you can kill yourself real easy on those. She thought it was a better way to get around compared to a car, which, you know, I get. She took classes to learn. She had a Suzuki motorcycle and she joined a motorcycle club, the Pacific <laughs> Northwest Riders. <laughs> that's so something you do at 24. I that's guess. what I'm thinking. I'm like, me and you are giggling because there's no way I would do that <laughs> I know. at 43. But when you're 24, she was like, oh, I like motorcycles. Yeah, why not? I'm going to learn. Here we I go. I want to learn. Yeah. yeah. She would take long rides with the group, scenic rides. 
after her death, members of the PNW commented on her lack of knowledge writing, but that they loved her personality and eagerness to just be out in the world experiencing what she could. And they loved that she always had a smile on her face. Aww. At this time, she was also dating a fellow PNW member. His name was Aaron. They weren't official, but they were only dating each other. So it was okay. like getting there. Mm -hmm. But I think they also knew there wasn't a real future there because he was going to school to become an x-ray tech and he didn't know how long he'd be in the area or her. I mean, she's there for a job and she just got out of school. Who knows? They only dated a few months. He did genuinely care for her. Mm -hmm. And he said, if I could see someone's aura, she would have been this bright, shining beacon, always positive. It didn't matter what was going on. She would never let anything get her down. And it was just really nice to be around her. Oh, that's very sweet. This is also how she met one of her closest friends in Seattle, Rachel. Rachel was a resident of the apartments as well. And she was outside one day and she saw Arpana driving up on her motorcycle. And <laughs> she's like, and this is a girl I want to know. Exactly. And her yeah. long, dark hair blowing in the wind. And she's like, wow, she's badass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she just wanted to know her. But it wasn't just motorcycles she picked up in her short time in Redmond. She also was taking Taekwondo classes. Okay. She volunteered for the Redmond Fire Department and animal shelters. Wow. She had this side dream of opening an animal rescue sanctuary for endangered species. She just loved caring for unwanted Aww. or helpless animals. Sweet. So she had a lot going on. And she was doing more than I did. Exactly. More than any of us could <laughs> That say. I do now, maybe. I mean, she was impressive. Yes. I think it's just part of their culture, maybe. Yeah, that's I feel true. like over in India and like the Indian moms and kids <laughs> that I've known over the years, like they just, just always doing something. Are just such yeah. high achievers. I know. And it makes my parents did not push me to bad. do that kind of stuff. <laughs> I was like, okay, I went to school today. Isn't that good enough? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't pushed by my parents either. Mm -hmm. I just ended up being an achiever, but it wasn't <laughs> at this level. No, no. She puts us to shame. Yeah. Even her friends said that everything she did, she did 100%. And that yes. was a lot of things. That's awesome. So now we have to go to the tragic night. It was Friday, October 31st, 2008. It was a normal day for Arpana. She showed up to work on time and she did what she was supposed to. She mentioned to several of her coworkers that she was excited for a party that she was going to be having at her apartment later that night. Yeah. And it wasn't just her apartment. It was the three others. And it was a block party. Levels. It's yeah. like a block party in your apartment. Yeah. That's really cool. All of the apartments had different themes. Hers was a haunted forest. Ooh. The other themes were pirates, winter wonderland, and a 1960s like themed lounge. Okay. After work, she stopped by a store or two and grabbed some more Halloween decorations and quickly decorated her apartment before anyone started to arrive. People started coming in around eight, you know, other than the decorations inside, they also kind of decorated all of the landings because this apartment, it's kind of like motel style. So it's like you have the outside. Yeah, the outside yes. that connects everybody. And that was like all in spiderwebs. And that's where they had snacks and drinks and other things. But you can go in the units. Mm -hmm. Everyone was dressed in costumes. Halloween. Arpana was Little Red Riding Hood. Sexy version. That makes sense because she's <laughs> the haunted forest. Yeah. There were at least two dozen people at this party, but really, if you listen to partygoers' recollection, they think that there was like 40 to 50 that okay. actually... Good turnout. Yeah. There was no official headcount, <laughs> and people were moving in and out of apartments and just right. up and down the stairs and just everywhere. Right. Most people had come and gone from Arpana's apartment by 9 p.m., including herself, because she wanted to go explore other places, too. Right. 
There were several photos of her with others. Typically, she had a glass of red wine in her hand, and she just seemed to be having a good time. Everyone was drunk, very (laughs) drunk. Some smoked weed, but there weren't really any hard drugs that anybody knew about. Okay. The party died down around 3 a.m., and most people had left. A lot went on that night, but no one suspected that the party would end in her murder. No. I mean, people could have come off the streets if they saw there was something fun going on. Just wearing a costume, too. Yeah. It was Halloween. It was actually Halloween night. That's creepy. Yeah. So she's gone, but no one knew just yet. Arpana had spoken with her parents the day before on October 30th. She was happy and she was excited about the party. She spoke to her parents every single day still. So they expected to hear from her the next day. But following Halloween night, they couldn't reach her. Oh, no. She wasn't answering or returning any of their calls, which was really unlike her. So come Monday morning, because remember, this was on a Friday. She didn't show up for work. Which is probably completely unlike her. And if you remember, this is her birthday. She was born on November 3rd. So Monday was her birthday. She was going to be 25 years old. Her colleagues found that to be really unlike her not to show up for work. Right. She'd only done it once before, and it was because she had a, a night out. Okay. But it's her, been a couple nights. I since, know. Her yeah. boss at this point is like, wait a second. You know, that was Friday. So they tried to reach her, and they couldn't reach her, but they also weren't freaking out yet. Okay. Not her work, anyway. Her parents back in India were restless, and they were really concerned. And they're on a 12-hour time difference, too. So that's oh yeah, not helping. But it's her birthday, and she still wasn't answering their calls. That's when you know. Yes. Yeah. The day before, they tried to have two of her other friends from India, who are also now living in the States, not in Seattle, but they tried to reach her. They were like her best friends from India, and they couldn't get in touch with her. Her father knew a former student of his was now living in the area and called him. His name was Jay. He asked him to go by her apartment and check on her. Okay. That morning he stopped by and ran into a neighbor of hers, Cameron Johnson. This guy had sideburns and a goatee, and we're going to talk about him a lot in this story. But Jay wasn't sure which apartment it was. He had been there once before, but he couldn't remember. And so he ran into Cameron, explained why he was there, and the neighbor took him to Arpana's apartment. Okay. As they went to knock, they noticed that the lock was broken and the jam was damaged. Uh Uh-oh. A bolt fell off the door as they were trying to push it open. That's not good. Immediately worried, they went in and they saw that the apartment was just a mess. Something happened. Okay. Yes, there was a party, but... There was like a sign of a struggle. Correct. They found Arpana in her bedroom. She was naked on the floor at the foot of her bed, covered in a towel. It just seemed like it was kind of haphazardly thrown on top of her. Okay. So she wasn't wearing it coming out of a shower or something like that. Her face was facing the bedroom door and her legs facing the opposite wall. She was decomposing at this point. They immediately called it in. I heard the 911 call. Yeah. And Jay had a really heavy, you know, Indian accent and she couldn't understand him. And he's just panicking. Right. Oh, my God. It was really hard to hear. Finally, Cameron gets on the phone and he's like super chill and super calm. It was a huge difference between the two. But he gave the address. The 911 operator asked if she was breathing and he said he didn't know, said he wasn't going to go near her body. Okay. I don't know. It was just really hard to hear Jay the most. The way he was responding to that was almost like it was his daughter because I think he had kids at the time too. Yeah. He felt this obligation probably because he knew her dad and now he knows he has to call her dad. And like, so it was kind of a family situation in a way. We'll, We'll get to that in a second too. Police arrived and confirmed that she was dead and cordoned everything off. 
I mean, her parents, they haven't been able to reach her for days. And now it's her birthday. Oh, my God. And they find out she's murdered. It just makes it extra heartbreaking. Yeah. Jay's cousin was actually the one who called Arpana's dad. But Jay's phone was ringing off the hook. He just couldn't bring himself to answer it. He finally did answer when he got home. And even though her dad knew, he's asking Jay, is there any chance for survival? So he was in complete denial. He's just, well, yeah. Yeah. Even though Jay was trying not to have to be the one to say it, he still ended up having to say, no, she's gone. Yeah. After all of this, Jay, because like I said, he had young children of his own at the time. He ended up requiring some psychiatric help. Like oh my it God. really he hurt saw, him. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. You go in just thinking you're going to check on someone and you find a dead body of a young woman. Of your professor right. that trusted you and wanted you to go check on her. Yeah. And now you have to deliver that news. Like that's trauma in yeah. every way. Yeah. The police began questioning who they could. Four hours later, crime scene investigators showed up. Okay. To start documenting everything. I feel like that's too long. We hear this. I know. This is going to come up in the case I'm going to really? cover next, too. I don't know what it is. Sometimes it's just maybe they're over. Maybe they don't understand in over, Redmond. Yeah, that's what know, it has to It come. was low crime. Mm-hmm. They had to come from somewhere else. That's possible. But it does leave it open to tampering when you don't have it secured right away. Degradation. Like mm-hmm. everything you can think of. Yeah. That's why you're supposed to get things as quickly as you can. It was determined to be a homicide right away, obviously, because there was evidence of a struggle and they believed that there was sexual trauma. Oh, no. She was eventually taken to the King County Medical Examiner's Office. It was determined that she died between 3.30 a.m. and 8 a.m. Her official cause of death was strangulation. Mm. The technician believed that the ligature found was from a shoelace. So, oh. shoelaces again. Oh, no. There was sexual assault, but the rape kit was negative. What does that mean? I don't know, really. But her tampon had been taken out. It was like laying next to her body. Does a rape kit mean that they just didn't find any semen or something? Is I that think what it so. means negative? So he could have used Maybe. a condom. I think rape kits also look at, because when a woman doesn't want it, our vagina oh, literally like rejects tears. you. Yes. Yeah. So that's another thing that they're looking at is the actual trauma inside. And I don't think they found any. But that doesn't mean she wasn't assaulted in some way. She was probably and drunk, she was drunk and more relaxed. Yeah. So that, that could yeah, be that doesn't too. mean she wanted it in or any way. She was, or it was someone she knew that she was going to have sex with. And then that's true. It also could have been, though, that she was passed out. Yeah. And then your body won it because you're completely relaxed. Exactly. Mm hmm. Some of her teeth were broken. Whoa. She also had blunt force trauma to her head in more than one area. Her mouth was covered in duct tape and she was gagged with her own underwear. The lower half of her body was covered in motor oil. What? Yeah. And when they turned her body over, her hands were blue. That was from toilet bowl cleaner. I don't get it. Why? I think to try and kill DNA on her hands. Oh, motor oil? Motor oil. Why? She was burned on one of her arms. They also found burns on the carpet, part of her sheets, which were satin. They were off the bed and partially burned. They also found some later I'll talk about. It's believed that with the motor oil, they thought that it would set her on fire. Also probably to try and cover DNA. Yeah. And then it didn't work. But it didn't work. So I don't know if it's like a drunk attempt to do that. And it didn't work. But yeah, the toilet bowl cleaner, her fingernails were scrubbed of evidence. So mm-hmm. they actually didn't find anything on her hands. So the toilet bowl back. cleaner worked for that purpose anyway. And her apartment smelled of bleach. And there were bleach stains all over the carpet. So somebody just took it and started spreading it around. <laughs> yeah. And the comforter from her bed was found in the bathtub. And it was soaking in water. Okay. Maybe bleach too. 
Right. They're know. trying to get DNA out again. So you yeah. have a very poorly executed Dexter situation here. <laughs> but yeah, there was a struggle. And at some point she was fighting for her life. Wow. She was taking Taekwondo classes. So for all we know, she was really putting up a fight. I'm guessing she wasn't a very large girl, though. No. So she could easily, yeah. even with Taekwondo and all of that, she'd been drinking. She was probably easily overtaken if it's a bigger right. man. Yeah. The killer also took her phone, her camera, keys, and wallet, and they still have to this date never found them, and her motorcycle was gone as well. Oh. Yeah. So I don't know so it's someone where who the bike she- went, but her helmet was still on the counter in the apartment. So she it's didn't. someone who knew she had a motorcycle then. Like, how would you yeah, know that was true. hers? You know what I yeah. mean? So it seems like her killer was doing their best to cover their tracks and clean up all the evidence that would tie anything back to them, but they failed at one point. We're going to get to this. We always want them to fail. Always fail. So let's go back to the night and we're going to get some more details from the party goers. Okay. Aaron, her then maybe boyfriend, he was invited to the party, but he had already made plans with friends that night and he couldn't make it. He regrets not going, though, because he feels like had he actually been with her that night, then none of this would have happened because probably he would be staying over. He would have stayed with her. Yeah. That's a hard thing for him to live with. I mean, they were still somewhat new, but right. he but knows if I was there, this literally would not have happened. Yeah. Arp and his friend Rachel, remember she lived there too, and another friend of theirs, Nicole and Arpana, they ran across the street to this sex shop. It was called Lover's Package because they all wanted fishnet. <laughs> oh, to go with their costumes. Yeah, yeah, and that was the only place to go get them at the time. Yeah. Rachel was going to be a sexy cop, and her boyfriend, who was coming later on, was going to be a bank robber. Oh. And Arpana, you know, she had that spreading. sexy little yeah. outfit as well. I don't know what their friend Nicole was wearing. So at this party, Rachel met Emmanuel Fair. Okay. He said that he was invited by a friend of his, Leslie Potts, who lived in the apartments, Leslie lived at one of the party apartments on the first floor. Okay. There didn't know anyone else at this complex, and he had no idea that when he arrived, there was going to be a party. So a bunch of people from the apartment complex quickly like tried to put something together for him. He became a construction worker. <laughs> That's so, easy. Yeah. You know, some of the people who lived there were actual construction workers. So he got like a tool belt and a hat, a hat <laughs> and yeah, stuff like that. Rachel remembers chatting with him for quite a while before moving on to talk to others. She said she didn't get any bad vibes from him whatsoever. She said he was kind and normal. She mentioned him talking about how he was looking for a stable job to take care of himself and his sick grandmother, who he loved dearly. He had been staying with a childhood friend in the basement of his friend's mom's house, but he needed a place to stay while they were out of town for the weekend. Okay. He was crashing with Leslie just for that weekend, and they met each other like on MySpace. (laughs) Oh, MySpace day still. Okay. And, you know, she offered her couch to him. Rachel really liked him and she was empathetic to him. Like she just felt, you know, he didn't have it that easy and... But he seemed like a smart guy and just going through a rough time. Normal dude. Okay. But he was like super positive. He had all these plans for the future and stuff. And so however, there was another person that Rachel did not like. And his name was Neil Marshall. Okay. She called him a douche. (laughs) He had tried locking her in a bedroom at one point. Like to try and get with her? I think so. Okay. She was in her bedroom or something and he just like came in and closed the door and she's like, uh, no. And she just walked right out. So at least he wasn't forcing anything on her. And she didn't even know him. He was the stepbrother of Chris Cutler, who lived there. 
Chris, just a side note, was dressed as Jesus because he had a beard and he went with it. I mean, <laughs> sure. And even Chris admitted that he had a drinking problem. And on that night, it was no different. And he was plastered. Okay. To Rachel, Neil was the only odd person that stuck out to her that whole night. Mm-hmm. He was just bad news bears. He was walking around all tough, challenging random people to do arm wrestling and okay, stuff. Okay, yeah, that's a douche. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I see why she used that word. <laughs> At some point, Neil and Emmanuel actually started kind of play boxing. Okay. I guess it was for fun, but they weren't like fighting, fighting. But at some point, Neil punched him in the mouth and he actually bled a little bit. Mm. But even Emmanuel, looking back at that, was like, oh, it's just, just whatever. Just fun. Yeah. yeah. A lot of boys get physical like that when they're drinking. I mean, that's why you don't want a bunch of guys at your apartment because no. they'll like break your shit. I know. Just being right? stupid. <laughs> But Neil was very forward with everyone, apparently. And after Rachel's refusal, he started asking about Arpana. Oh, okay. Asking Rachel if she thought Arpana would hook up with him. And so this is just a dude looking to get laid at a party. I think. Why do guys exist like this? Because they're douches. Will she fuck me? (laughs) He's like, wait, you don't want to fuck me? What about that girl? Will she fuck me? Yeah. Yeah. They have no standards. They just like <laughs> right. they just go from one girl to the next until they get to whoever is drunk enough. I mean, guys do this in the bars all the time. Rachel was really vocal with him though, and she was like, "No way. Hell Stay no. away from her." <laughs> <laughs> Chris, at one point, was trying to get Neil to go back to the apartment and, like, go to bed. But Mm -hmm. he was just being too much, and nobody liked him. Yeah, nobody wants that energy. And then to be the dude that's like, damn it, I'm the one that brought him. Yeah, then you're embarrassed, (laughs) and you're like, oh, this is my drunk, douchey friend who is just trying to get laid by every girl. It's his brother-in-law, so he, like, oh, even worse, mean. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I'm related to this guy, damn it. But that's what happens in marriage, (laughs) right-in-law thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Around midnight, a good chunk of people went back to Arpana's apartment to eat some pizza. So every apartment had different food, and I guess hers was the pizza place. This isn't all of them, but it included Chris, Neil, Emmanuel, and Cameron Johnson, the man that eventually found her dead body with a family friend. Cameron was Arpana's next door neighbor. Okay. He wasn't at the party until that moment. So he had been somewhere else. And then showed up for pizza? I guess. He also wasn't drunk. So he wasn't drunk like everybody else. He had been drinking. Rachel just remembers him being really quiet and like sitting on the kitchen counter at first. Mm -hmm. And he had a hoodie on. At some point, people remembered Cameron and Arpana did seem a little flirty with each other. Okay. I don't know if he just was like, fine, I'll be more part of the party. He like left and he came back with like a devil mask. Okay. And he invited everybody to quickly like come to his house for vodka shots. So he was trying to get (laughs) into the mood. Emmanuel remembers connecting with Cameron about music because they were really both passionate about music. Emmanuel played drums and was in the church choir. Okay. And Cameron liked electronica. I don't know how those two go together, but (laughs) I mean, EDM has some drum beats. Yeah. Emmanuel was really about like rap and stuff, though. Yeah. Other than that. At some point, the two of them went out to Cameron's car to listen to some CD he had. They were gone for like 20 minutes before they headed back upstairs. But this is the last time that Emmanuel saw Cameron. Like he said, after that, I never saw the dude again. You know, like they just connected for a second. That happens when you're drinking at parties. Yeah. It was after this that people started to fizzle out. People were getting too rowdy and mm. apartment residents were starting to get annoyed. It's like, like we're trying to sleep, guys. It's they, 2 a.m. <laughs> they let it happen for a while. Yes. But come on. It started with one guy because he started popping a bunch of balloons and they were like, you can leave. Them. OK, <laughs> yeah, that's annoying. And people started getting into like petty little arguments. Everyone was just really drunk and they're reaching the end. By this point. Yeah, it's not fun anymore. At yeah. This point. 
Rachel and her friend decided to go back to their apartment. Arpana walked them down and she stayed a little while. Arpana had her keys with her. That's just something that Rachel remembers. She didn't know why she had her keys with her. But it was also at this point, this is the last conversation that they had. Arpana was just making some comments on how free it felt for her as a woman here, like how free she felt and that it was really, really hard growing up in India as a woman. And Rachel just remembers saying, oh, it's not that easy for us here. Like she's just, you know, yeah. But at the same time, she knew that it was important to Arpana because Arpana started crying and saying, like, you have no idea. But that was the last conversation they had. Yeah. So that was really hard. Rachel wasn't sure what brought it on. She didn't know if like something had happened that night or she was just having such a good time. I think she was just happy because she's probably like thinking I could never, ever, ever do this in India where I grew up. Right. And she's just having the time of her life. Yes. Yeah. That's how I kind of took it too. But she left Rachel's apartment around 3 a.m. to go back to her apartment. Her neighbor on the other side, Kyle, uh, who interestingly enough was still living in that same apartment 13 years later <laughs> during a, like this documentary thing. That's, Some people do that. They're lifers in their apartments. They, they just get just comfortable. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But yeah, not common. I remember when I first moved to Denver, I lived in a place like that where people had lived there for like 20 years. In their apartments? Yeah. Yeah, that's not something. I think the longest I've ever lived in an apartment is a year. I've never stayed in an apartment. I'm trying to think. I've stayed like, I've rented houses yeah. that I've stayed in for two or three years, but I've never stayed in an apartment longer than a year. I think the longest I've maybe been in an apartment is like three years. Not that there's anything no. wrong with it. It's just, no. yeah. Yeah. So Kyle, anyway, he didn't partake in these festivities. I was listening to him talk. He said he thought about it. He was just like shy. He was like, I have nothing to wear. And <laughs> like just he, he went through his closet at one point to see what he can come up with. And then he talked himself out of it. And then at one point he's like, I'll just get a drink. And then he talked himself out of it. And so he's like a nervous introvert. <laughs> yeah. I think he wanted to Social try. Social anxiety will get him. And then eventually he was just like, Ugh, never mind. I'm just going to stay home <laughs> and watch TV. Yeah. But he lived right next to her and he had his window open and he remembers hearing Arpana talking to somebody like a guy Mm -hmm. and he didn't know what they were talking about, but he thought it might have been about drugs. Like she was asking this person, oh, like, what does it do or or something like that? The man, whoever it was, said, you can see the devil. That's all I know. Okay. And then between 3 and 4 a.m., Kyle stopped hearing the party. He's like, okay, finally. Like, he didn't want to be a party pooper, so he didn't have any problem with them all doing it. But it was around this time that everyone was finally leaving or they're passing out in their own apartments. Something's going on. But it was around 8 a.m. He woke up because he heard moaning coming from her apartment. At first, he wasn't sure if she was, like, having sex or something. Yeah. But kind of just determined no she's sick she's like throwing up and stuff like oh. she had too much to drink but at one point he heard what he could only describe as growling growling yeah but he later is like i think it was the best way to say that is heaving so he thought she's really drunk just throwing up yeah he also heard this thud he said it lasted like 20 seconds so but he heard this like really big thud and he thought maybe she fell out of her bed or something okay and so he's like i'm just gonna leave her be she had a fun night she's super drunk he was considering like checking on her but when he woke up again he heard water in the bathroom and he was like okay she's fine like she's taking she's a shower moving now moving around good, yeah. like she's trying to take care of herself and their bathrooms were connected so that's why he could hear everything everything yeah. 
sad though because he does question like if he had checked on her could he have stopped yeah because was happening? something was happening and he just thought she was drunk yeah the so, heaving sound could have been her trying to talk through the duct tape that's true crying or whatever or she was dying something was happening yeah but she was ultimately strangled so that's a quick death that's a well it Quicker, takes a while yes yeah I don't know. He said it, it didn't really change him, but I would completely argue that when they interviewed him, they said he had like this bookshelf of a bunch of cop DNA. Like he, like he really got into trying to figure something out or it just changed his. I mean, it would mess with you yeah. if your next door neighbor that you knew and especially a young, you know, girl living yeah. on her own got murdered. Like, yeah. He met her in an interesting way, too, which was kind of a comical memory. He said the first time he met her, he heard someone fall outside and it was her on her bike. Like falling she, over? Yeah. And she couldn't get it up herself. So oh, he no. came down to help her pick up the bike because it was too heavy for her to pick yeah. up. So back to the scene and evidence, though. The killer seemed like they were trying to do everything they could to cover their tracks, you know, right. cleaning her nails, bleaching everything, trying to burn things, soaking her comforter. But they didn't get very far with some of it because outside in the apartment dumpster, the cops found part of her costume from that night, part of which was burned as well. Okay. The ultimate murder weapon, the shoelace, Uh a blood-stained bathrobe, and some of those sheets, her satin sheets that were partially burned, and the bottle of motor oil. This is a really dumb criminal. (laughs) Maybe they thought the trash was going to be picked up already, but remember, they found this three days later, so I guess they didn't know This person has never watched CSI or Law & Order or Dexter, obviously. The cops questioned everyone that they could, apartment residents, other party goers, that they could identify. It took time to figure out who people were. At first, they were just going off of photos. One of the residents was a photographer, so he took a lot of the pictures that night, was just going around taking pictures. Yeah. And so they first just knew people by their costumes. Who was Superman tonight? Who was, yeah, yeah. (laughs) the construction guy. So they had to figure out who they were. Mm -hmm. And after some time, they narrowed in on some people. Okay. Guessing Neil. I mean, at first he was thought to be someone who could have done it. Right. The cops were really interested in him at first and heavily questioned his brother-in-law, Chris. This was brought on because of the party goers' comments about Neil. Yeah. They asked who stood out to them, and they said him. He was a dick. He was the guy picking fights. Yeah. All the girls pointed their fingers to Neil. <laughs> and girls, we all have that. We're like, yeah. okay, this was the guy that was trying to hook up with any and every girl right. here. <laughs> then they found out that he left the party early, and he walked three hours home. <laughs> <laughs> you would think, okay, that's a bad alibi, but he did end up getting cigarettes on his walk home and so he's caught on camera and his family remembers what time he came home because he was still living at home okay I mean I think he was early 20s you know he's still living with his parents this explains why he was so desperate to hook up with a girl that night because he didn't want to walk home (laughs) he didn't want to walk home he didn't want to be home he was yeah he lives with his parents he's like I gotta stay at somebody's apartment tonight come on girls come on ladies because he could have stayed with his brother-in-law but he just was pissed his brother-in-law's you've embarrassed me get the fuck out go home (laughs) yeah you've been enough tonight but what's interesting you'll find out later or i'm telling you now even though rachel said that he had no chance with arpana he had a different version of his interaction with her that night that's always a guy for you though they're like she liked me well he mentioned that arpana asked him to go into her room with her and he took that as a sign well actually she is interested in me you know but maybe she liked bad guys that night maybe she just wanted to kiss him maybe i don't know but they were interrupted 
by Cameron. Okay. Cameron, the neighbor, he came in and was like, oh, you guys want to hang out? Like, I don't know. But Neil felt cock blocked by him. <laughs> and that's when he decided to walk home. He's like, yeah, go get some cigarettes, walk home. Okay. So he's out. But he felt that Cameron was being kind of jealous and weird. Like that's how he so felt about of Cameron. Her. Yeah. Okay. But in all, that was his interaction with Farpana. It was just that. Okay. A little bit more, though, about him. <laughs> I was listening to him in an interview. And he was still a dick. Really? <laughs> Later in life. He just sounded like a dick. He's just that kind of guy. Yeah. That but personality. People focused on his behavior, though, just that one night. And it's followed him his whole life since. And he's just done with it. So he just sounds like he's fed up. He's you know? over it. Yeah. yeah. I get it. Maybe. Because dudes can be dicks, especially at parties, especially Always. in their and early 20s. I was say he's and drunk. And yeah. Yeah. He's a different person now. I'm, I'm just sure. hoping, from what I heard, <laughs> That he's kinder and like less in your face and gentle in his actual relationships. Yeah. But till this day, he's still portrayed the way he is because people talk about it. And here we are talking about it. I don't think Neil was the guy. Okay. But he was also never tested. That seems like a miss. Yeah. From the police. But okay. There's a lot of bullshit in this one. Another possible suspect was, of course, Arpana's then fling of the time, Aaron from the motorcycle club. Yeah. They interviewed him and he did provide his DNA. He didn't have a great alibi. So he was of interest at first. Okay. They found his semen on a towel in her apartment, which he explained, dude, yeah, because we had We've sex. We've been We're dating. Up. Yeah. <laughs> and that's totally a dude thing to do. Like he wiped himself off yep. and it was still just sitting on her bedroom floor. She probably didn't even know or is yeah. stuffed under her bed. But once they kind of determined, okay, it's not him, they asked if anybody from the club would have done something to her. Okay. And he said, yeah, 100%. Any Uh-oh. of them could. And not in a way that he knew someone specifically, but he's like, this club is just a bunch of people who like met online and like motorcycles and we and get together and ride. We really don't even fucking they know could be each some other. Sketchy ass yeah. people that nobody knows. It's like yeah. you don't know what these people are like in their real lives. So possibly. Sure. Okay. But Cameron was the first to be interviewed. I mean, he found her. So that makes sense. He wasn't a person of interest initially, but they still needed to talk to him. Okay. Cameron had said that he tried calling her the next day around 10 or 11 and didn't get any answers, but he didn't really think anything of it. And that was kind of it. And they let him go. He said some other stuff, but I mean, was he normally calling her? I mean, they they were neighbors. Yeah. And, you know, they said that they were a little flirty. So I don't know. Maybe he was trying to get in there. (laughs) (laughs) He was trying something. Yeah. At first, when they were still trying to determine who their main suspects were, after months of work, they really weren't getting anywhere. So the police went back to the beginning to look at Cameron again. Okay. Because to them, you know, they're like, well, it's not unheard of that killers would involve themselves in the investigation. And, you know, yeah, that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And all of that. Because an eyewitness remembers seeing Cameron at Arpana's apartment around the time that they say she was assaulted. I mean, he was her neighbor, but they said that they saw him standing in her doorway around 3 a.m. So that's when she left her friend's apartment and was going home and he lived right next to her. So maybe he confronted her about something. So the reason why they wanted to talk to him again, because they started to look into Arpana's phone records and found that he called her twice around 3 a.m., one at 2.56 and one at 3.02. So maybe it's after those calls, he decided to just go over to her apartment instead. Okay. He didn't say that in the first interview. He said 10 or 11. So they're like, what's the truth here, dude? What happened? 
So they brought him back in. He claims to not remember calling her at that time at all. I mean, he was doing vodka shots, so it's possible. Yeah, but he was also the one that wasn't really drunk yet. Yeah, that's true. So what's interesting, and I was listening to part of the interview when they were doing this, the cop's interrogation. Mm -hmm. And when they brought up the times that he actually called her, his first reaction right away was, oh, crap. Like he said, oh, "Oh, crap, on the interview. And like quickly. Okay, well, that sounds real guilty. (laughs) Yeah. Don't be suspicious, dude. You're just like totally. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, crap. I I mean, I mean. Yeah. And he tried to like move past that. But that's what came out of his mouth. (laughs) Oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) So they started to find out that there were actually a lot of discrepancies when it came to his story. Okay. Interesting note about him. He was under psychiatric care at the time and he was supposed to be taking certain medication and he had stopped taking them himself without doctor approval. Okay. We got some red flags going off. Another very odd thing about him and to me is like screaming suspicion. He went to Canada the next day after Uh, her murder on Saturday. Was that planned? He just woke up and was like, I think I'm going to drive over to Canada today, probably to dispose of some evidence. You know, that's what I think. But like, we already have determined that he sucked at getting rid of (laughs) So yeah, maybe he should have saved all of that in a bag to take to Canada. So, but he tried to go to Canada and he forgot his passports. So they weren't, he wasn't allowed. Yeah. And so he had to go back. But he said he was just going to have fun and explore, which, you know, it's not an unheard of thing to do because he was, it was like two and a half, three hours away, which is like us going to Trinidad. Not that we would go to Trinidad for anything fun, but Colorado Springs, maybe it's like an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, it's odd. It's the day after her murder. No one knew that she was dead yet at the time. But if he knew, you know, he's Mm -hmm. going to another country. Maybe he was going to skip town for good or he is getting rid of evidence. I think that that's the case. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, they asked him, well, have you ever been there? Like, is this a normal thing for him to do? Yeah, you do this every other weekend. And he said he hadn't been to Canada for a really, really long time. So it's like, okay, why now? Yeah, that does make it look really weird then. And then at some point in this interview that they just started to really push him. Come on, it's you. Just, you know, get it off your chest, you know, type of stuff like that. And he started to just not answer questions. And you could tell he was getting really flustered. At some point, he said, can you please turn off the recording? And they did. So no one knows what happens when this recording ends. Yeah. But fast forward eight years for a quick second and the tables are turned. One of these detectives was now being interviewed. So Mm -hmm. I'm jumping really ahead, but it's just because it's connected to this interview. And he was being questioned for his involvement in this interrogation. Why did you turn off the recording? Yeah. What happened? And he's like, oh, you know, nothing. He said, if there was anything of interest, we would have written it down. But it was after this interview, which is just really weird. They jumped from, you're the guy, tell us what happened, you know, get it off your chest, to letting him walk out that day. And he said nothing happened when the recording went off. Unless, like, he told them some, like, really personal, like, medical history and got them to be, like, that's true sympathetic they, to him. That would be my thought. They could have, but... Or he paid him off. I don't know. I don't know. It's just really weird. And the cop was really weird that you're listening to. The detective. He's like, oh, well, but nothing happened. And I'm like, you went from that to that. And you had Exactly. Yeah. It was really weird. So at one point, Cameron was the main guy. But they let him leave with his phone. 
which was a bad move because later in the future, when they got their hands on his device, it was all wiped. Oh, shit. Yeah, completely wiped. That to me looks suspicious. That's really suspicious. If you're innocent, you know that no matter what they do, unless you're paranoid, it sounds like he has psychological problems. So he could just be a paranoid Mm -hmm. dude, you know, I don't know, but I don't know. That definitely makes a bell go off in my head. But so far, there's a bunch of things that are kind of the Canada thing's weird too. Canada, the calling her, people saw him at her apartment after everything. Where's her phone? Are you going to get into that? Her phone was taken. I know. They never never found found it. it. Okay. Yeah. So they couldn't trace it or anything. Okay. But they were able to get her records still, you know, from the company. But it was after this, Cameron lawyered up. So, okay. But the cops didn't want to stop and they didn't know for sure if it was him. So they started looking into other people at the party. And that's how they came to Emmanuel, mm-hmm. who became the cop's ultimate target. Is Emmanuel black? Yes. And he was the only black guy at the party. I just remember you saying he was under rap and everything like that. And I'm like, yeah. my brain just goes to who do the cops always narrow down to the yeah. minority? And he had tattoos. But that's also how most people remembered him too. Oh, the black guy, the black guy. Because they didn't know his name. But most people said. He was cool. Like was, nobody had anything yeah, bad was, to say about exactly. him. Exactly. No one had anything bad to say about Emmanuel. But they're like, oh, it's that guy. He has tattoos. This black guy. Who's this black guy? Yeah. He just came out of nowhere. He had to be the one that killed her. Cops released a picture of him to other precincts. Yeah. And they found him. They identified him and pulled everything that they could on this guy. Emmanuel is actually still there when the cops arrived on November 3rd. Okay. But his friend Leslie helped to keep him out of sight until he could walk out and get a bus back to Seattle. It wasn't because he was guilty for killing Arpana. That's not why he wanted to stay out of sight. But he was scared. So he was, As most black people are, yeah. especially black men of the cops. Right. Manuel said that he fell asleep at Leslie's apartment that night. He went back to her apartment around 2, 2.30 in the morning. And he claims to have been at her place the rest of the night. He slept, sprawled out on her couch for a while, and at some point moved to the bed with her because he was cold. Because this is Seattle and yeah. it's winter time. They weren't romantically involved, him and Leslie. He just wanted to blanket. They were just close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just friends. I get it. Yeah. And Leslie confirmed this, you know, they're just friends and there wasn't anything sexual that ever happened between the two of them. And she confirmed, yeah, he was on the couch and then he came to my bed. Yeah. But Emmanuel has a bit of history, it turns out. Okay, let's hear it. Emmanuel Fair. He also went by Anthony P. Parker, which I couldn't find any more information on. But he was the only one who attended the party that had a criminal record. So that's also why they focused on him, which included rape of an underage girl. Oh, okay. Well, that is yeah. a different. Was it statutory? Like, what? How young? What were the details? So this happened in 2004, and he was charged with rape of a 15-year-old girl, and he was 20 at the time. Mm, that's a. He was charged for raping her at gunpoint. Oh shit. Okay. At the time this happened, Emmanuel was living with his father and his father's girlfriend, and she had a daughter. Her name oh. was Jennifer. This is the girl. So it's not really clear what happened there, but Emmanuel maintains that they had a relationship going on in that house. So I don't know if it just got to a point where she didn't want to deal with it anymore or, but he said, well, you know, there was a relationship between us. Okay. And when you listen to him, he does not come off as the type of guy that would rape somebody, to be honest. And that's just my personal thing, but who knows? You know, people have a dark side. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's hard to say. And I don't want to take away from that girl. If that's what happened to her, then. Yeah. If she said that he raped her at gunpoint. Yeah. Even if they had a relationship before, we'll get into this. Yeah. Just because you said yes before doesn't mean yes. Yes forever. Right. That doesn't mean yes forever. So that is one thing about Emmanuel that it's hard to look past. Yeah, that's a big that's a big one for sure. But what we do know is that he said, no, I didn't rape her. He actually entered into an Alfred plea for that case. Okay. So I had to look this up. An Alfred plea is when someone pleads guilty but maintains their innocence, meaning that they do time for the crime, but they never admit to the crime in reality. Okay. Because they know that if they went to trial, they would probably get a get worse more. sentence. Yeah. It's also for people who can't afford a lawyer, which was him. I mean, he didn't have a job. He was sleeping on a girl's couch. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, this was before that, but he just didn't have the money to get a lawyer at the time. So he did three years for that. And at the time of the party, he had only been out of jail for a year. And he he did have a parole officer still at the time. So that's why he wanted to leave. Because he was scared. Yeah, he was scared. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Makes him look real guilty, too. And there is some evidence that would make you question his alibi of even being at Leslie's because between 2 and 5 a.m. he made a lot of calls, including to Leslie, who he was supposedly Okay, that's interesting. But his argument to this day is that I butt dialed the shit out of people that night. He fell asleep on his phone. If you're thinking about like phones of 2008, that kind of makes sense because he had a BlackBerry. Yeah, I had one. The buttons on the outside and I don't know. And she does corroborate this too because there's a bunch of voicemails and it's nothing. Of him just, okay. And it's nothing. And they're really, really long. Did they check of any of the other One of them was to some girl that was found to be like a sex worker. Okay. But who knows who he knew at the time in his life? I don't know. They tried to say that he was a pimp. But he wasn't because I guess Leslie was kind of into that stuff at the time. And so because of calling that girl and staying with Leslie, they're like, oh, he's a pimp. And he's like, no, they were just my friends. And they both agreed to this. They're like, no, there's no sexual thing having to do with Emmanuel in our two friendships. But they did have these voicemails and it was just it sounded like someone moving every now and then. Okay, I don't know. So I think it's not impossible that they were butt dials. Mm -hmm. But it is strange. Yeah. (laughs) But Emmanuel says once he knew he became the suspect, he knew that blaming him for the death of Arpana was racially motivated. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get into that a lot. He was just treated differently, too, than all the other suspects. Here's one example. When they were trying to find him, they found out where he was staying and went and got him SWAT style. Okay. They set up surveillance and they approached him and they pointed guns at him to get him in the car. And Emmanuel just being who he is, like he had a hard life, but being who he is, he was like, oh, they just want to question me. So he even was still positive at the time. He didn't think, even though that's how they took him, he wasn't thinking anything really bad yet. Because they didn't have anything. He was just a black guy with a rap sheet. And that's why they were taking him. Yeah. And if you know you're innocent, you're yeah. not worried. So they put him in an unmarked car and they interrogated him on this drive. And he was never read his rights. They did record him like in the car. So okay. he had one cop sitting with him in the back and then the other cop driving. They just asked tons of questions and he answered all of them, like okay. honestly and thoroughly. And his story has never changed. Never. Mm hmm. But Emmanuel didn't have an easy life growing up, like I said. He grew up in Seattle, but he was raised by his grandmother mostly. But he did, like, bounce around between family members. So he never had just a stable home, ever. His mother was out of the picture, pretty much. She was a drug addict, and she was homeless. And as a young teenager, he ran away from home at some point and got into drugs as well and some petty crimes. But he actually got out of that and turned his life around. He ended up in a foster home. 
his mom died when he was 16. And it was before that or shortly after, like his grandmother had a stroke. So he became her caretaker. You know, it was a rough rough life. Yeah. Teenage years for sure. Emmanuel consented to providing a DNA sample to the cops to help clear his name. Okay. But he didn't realize where that was actually going to land him. Oh, no. So right now, Cameron and Emmanuel are the main people being Did looked they, at. And they didn't take any DNA from Cameron? Eventually. Okay, but at this point, no. Okay. It was Emmanuel's DNA that was found that got the cops really going. And man, are we going to go down another road with this DNA stuff, like Anthony. I'm just more convinced now more than ever that DNA is a kind of a fucked up thing. But they found his DNA on her bloodstained bathrobe from the trash can. Okay. They found his DNA on toilet paper sheets in her apartment that were found on the floor and on the duct tape that was found over her mouth and from a swab on her neck. Okay. At first, you know, knowing that he was convicted of rape and this, you're like, okay, sure. Like, that's the guy. Mm -hmm. You'll see why I'm just so mad about this DNA stuff. Every single sample, every single sample they took was degraded. Once again, they didn't, they didn't actually have, a full, have like, anything. They didn't have semen or no, anything on her. They did not like, have semen. Something really strong. Right. But every sample was broken down. The conditions in which they were taken were not great either. She was found several days later. And there were tons of people in her apartment. Tons. And DNA was mixed with others, people who weren't tested. And we know he had been in her apartment right. that night. Yeah. So. And so I was looking into what is degraded DNA, really. And it is. It's that's broken down. And it's also DNA that could be affected by like bacteria and fungus and stuff. So just because they found this DNA, it really doesn't mean anything in reality because of where everybody was. And he did use her bathroom. Okay. One of the arguments is, you know, if her robe was hanging in the bathroom, which that's where people keep stuff, you know, anybody could have touched that. that. (laughs) It's probably hanging on the back door in the way to like get in and out of the bathroom. Yep. And toilet paper on the floor. He touched the toilet paper I was going to say it could have been the toilet paper. You know, he was the last one to touch the roll before the killer touched it. The duct tape, though, is interesting. Well, we're going to get into why you can't trust anything that was touched ever. He could have literally touched something and then she just touched her face. Because that's the type of samples that they're dealing with. It was a horrible crime scene to take evidence from. Her apartment was open to dozens of people. Everyone was drunk. Everyone was hanging all over each other. Touching everything. Sharing drinks, losing drinks, grabbing another drink. Who knows? There were multiple unidentified male DNA profiles in her apartment and on her body. Okay. And remember her tampon? Yes. There were three unidentified male profiles on her tampon string alone. That's weird. Very weird. And none of that stuff was Emmanuel. Emmanuel was not on all those things. So Right. Okay. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. It's just a fucked up crime scene. And there's Mm -hmm. just DNA everywhere. And what I maybe failed to explain when I was talking about Julie Buskin and Anthony Sanchez If you haven't listened to that episode, by the way, I don't want to spoil it, but we talked about it earlier and I'm like, maybe nobody knows what we're talking about. But if you go listen to that, you'll see why this DNA thing is a hot, a hot issue for us right now at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) But the point I was trying to make in that episode, DNA evidence, despite computer systems and all the other shit that goes into that, it has to be interpreted by a human being who creates a story. And that person might be biased. They might be racist, homophobic, have vendettas, be that black magic witch who, you know, just decides the fate of people. Or they're just a human being and human beings also make mistakes, too. Yeah. Anyway, Emmanuel had already explained that he was around her pretty much all night, even though there wasn't a lot of interaction with her. He was just with the group. Right. 
he had pizza there and he used a restroom and he went to her bedroom with several other people at some point because she wanted to show people something on her laptop. Okay. And that was confirmed. And around 1.30 or 2, he started to help clean up around the complex. Mm. And he was taking trash and other things out. And he was sitting on her couch at one point. The duct tape, you know, for all we know, it was like part of how she was it putting stuff up. It could have been laying up. on a table because she had been using it to yeah, hang decorations. Yeah, she was decorating. Yeah, that makes so sense. So there's a lot of ways that his DNA could have showed up And he could have picked up the duct tape when they were cleaning up just to right. move it off a table or something. Because he was just being a nice guy. You know, he was staying at a friend's house and he got invited to this party. So he probably just felt like, oh, wow, you know, got to be included in this. So I'm going to I'm gonna help. Yeah. So DNA was just everywhere. Not just his. Everybody's. Everybody's. Yeah. Which, if you think about it, it's scary. We're just constantly leaving bits of ourselves everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. I shed like a dog, so I can never commit a murder because my hair just falls out everywhere. But that's it. It scares me for the future, you know, because tests are just getting really good. I was listening to this one guy talk about DNA and why it's an issue. The tests are almost too sensitive now. What would because they get every single thing? Everything. Yeah, we got to hone in on like the really, really strong pieces. That's what he's saying. You really should only be going off of full profiles that you find someone's actual blood, someone's actual semen, because this DNA stuff is crazy. It really is. But he stood by his statements. He explained, you know, it was a party and everybody was in and out of all these units. But what about Cameron? Okay, let's go back to Cameron for a second. His DNA was also found on evidence. Okay. Including the motor oil bottle. Um, which was part of that's pretty her specific. murder. Yeah. Was his on the tampon string? No. Okay. Nobody knows the people who were on the tampon string. <laughs> oh my god. It's just that's so, so weird. weird. It's whatever was on her hand when she took the or I don't think she took out she her own. She didn't tampon. take it out if somebody was assaulting her. It, obviously there was an intention to do something. Why else are you gonna take out the girl's tampon? Right. But yeah, to me, it's more suspicious that his DNA is on the motor oil of all things. Yes. And his was the main profile. So it was a stronger sample as well on the motor oil. So remember, some people saw that Cameron and her were a little flirty. Yes. But other people say that they remember him just being kind of jealous. Kind of like what Neil said. Yeah, he seemed possessive of her. Right. And it's not much, but at least there's somewhat of a motive there. Whereas Emmanuel, he's like, I I, I met her, but... At one point, the cops thought maybe Cameron and Emmanuel's like little 20 minute music interaction led to them conspiring to do this together. Okay, that's way out there. <laughs> that's like way out in outer space. Kind I know, of like but when you're thought. listening to the detective bring this up, because a lot of this is recorded, he's like, that's totally logical. I'm like, where in life do you say, hey, I don't know you very well, but let's let's kill this girl together. I have an idea. It makes no sense. Yeah. They tried to actually bring this up in court several times and everybody was like, everybody "Mm, rolls their eyes like that's so dumb. Who thought of that? (laughs) Was that like the rookie cop that just got hired yesterday? He's like, I got an idea. (laughs) It's so weird. What's even weirder, because I know this happens in some cases, they brought in a psychic medium. Mm. They needed more help, I guess. Right. (laughs) So guess who they brought in? Alison Dubois. Okay. Do you know who that is? No. Alison Dubois. Have you seen the show with Patricia Garquette? Medium. No. You haven't seen that show? But I know of it. I haven't seen it. I loved that show. Anyway, that show's based on Alison Dubois. She's a famous medium. So she's famous. Yeah. I found out that the show was going from 2005 to 2011. So it was the height so of it, it. That's crazy. She had a show about her. Like it wasn't based on the past. It was based She's on her She's still doing her stuff, shit. helping yeah. the police. 
So they brought her in and they wanted to see if she could get a sense of Arpana herself or of where her phone might be and to help them decide between Cameron and Emmanuel or if there was someone else that they haven't talked to yet. Her answers were she couldn't get anything on the phone. She just mentioned that there's a chubby white girl hiding information. Okay. (laughs) And she said she was getting a sense of street racing. That was it. It led them nowhere. Yeah, that doesn't really help. No. A chubby white girl hiding information. Maybe. Was there a girl involved in her murder? I mean, I don't know. Or somebody who just knows that whoever More, killed her is yeah. a, like that could very well creepy be guy that yeah. could, could have done it. Yeah. But obviously that didn't do anything for them. Yeah. Real quick. And this is kind of a side note, but I just hate how overlooked it is in this story. There was another person who lived in the apartment. I don't have his name, but he committed suicide a few days after her murder. Okay. And his DNA was never compared to the evidence. And I don't want to trash the name of someone who is really going through something, but it is the timing of it is a little suspicious. But it's also Seattle, which has the highest suicide rate that in is the true too. world, I think. So yeah. I just feel like, you know, it could have been looked at. Yeah, it does seem coincidental at the same time. So, yes, if you were a good investigator, which obviously I'm thinking they're not um, <laughs> since they came up with this harebrained idea. But, yeah, you would probably at least think to look for I if mean, he was at the he party. Killed, he killed himself literally when she was found. I don't know. It was just a little weird timing. Odd. Okay. That, they just never looked into it. Overall, the police had multiple male DNA profiles from everywhere in the apartment on near Arpana's body. The medical examiner found trace DNA on Arpna's neck, like I said. And because she was ultimately killed with the shoelace and direct strangulation, they thought if they could match the DNA to that, there you go. Like on the shoelace? Yeah. Well, not on the shoelace, on her neck, just anywhere near her neck, which is strange to me because she could have had anyone's DNA on her neck. I don't know why they were so focused on, well, if we can find out the DNA that's on her neck, because she wasn't killed with hands. She was killed with a shoelace. Yeah. And so when they found Emmanuel's DNA on her neck, on a swab of her neck. But the other crazy thing about that is the DNA trace that they had was so small that even the examiner couldn't get a profile. Nothing she did produced anything that could be used, but they didn't want to leave it at that. So they ended up sending it off to some super secret lab and surprise, that's when it came back with the manual. Okay. I just think the police did what they wanted to do and they needed to, to tell tie their story him to something that didn't feel as circumstantial as the other ones. It's scary to think about how they have the ability to do something like that to mm-hmm. build their case. I don't know like if they have any kind of markers, you know, you think about a corporation and they're like you have different goals. I wonder if police precincts have a goal to not have open case like you know they yeah. get rewarded right. or whatever there might the be. chief on closing right. cases like that's true. Those kinds of things might be out there. They're KPIs. And <laughs> what I was looking for. Right. KPIs. Yeah. And murder wasn't a normal thing in this town. Yeah. Now they have and the they, one black guy who came to visit. And they don't want people in the community afraid to live yeah. there. You know, they don't want it getting out that like some girl by herself just got murdered. Right. So once they got that tiny result back from that tiny little sample that no one could test, just this one ta-da. place. Ta-da. <laughs> Emmanuel was officially the murderer. Okay. On October 30th, 2010, almost almost exactly two years yeah. after her murder, he was charged for the assault and murder of Arpana. Okay. But guess who didn't know that? Emmanuel. So this is interesting. After Emmanuel was taken by the cops for questioning, yeah. they invoked their right to arrest him for a warrant that he had out. That's also why he was trying to get away from the What apartment. did he have a warrant for? Because he didn't update them on his address. Oh, yeah. That's part of parole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but that's because he didn't really have a place and he was couch hopping. Right. He was just trying to get by, find a job. Even his parole officer said he wasn't going to pursue charging him for this at all. Because he wasn't a danger, probably. But because he knew the cops were looking into him for this now, there was nothing that he could do. Okay. So when he was officially charged for murder, he was already in jail for this other warrant. warrant. And all of a sudden, they come and get him and take him somewhere else. Okay. Does that sound familiar? Yep. (laughs) Anthony Sanchez. The exact same thing happened to him. He was taken from somewhere else and all of a sudden he was being charged with something. But he didn't even know that. At some point, they let him make a phone call. He called a friend of his and he told her where he was. And he's like, I don't even know why I'm here right now. But she knew and started panicking because he was all over the news and Internet. Everyone said that he was arrested for her murder and he was the guy. And here he is in jail. Nobody told him. Oh, my God. He that found has out to from be. talking to his friend on the phone. And he had no lawyer or anything Nothing. helping him right now. He thought he was just there to do a little Service. time for his little oh, warrant shit. and the address. For his address. Oh, and my God. they took him to this other place. And all of a sudden, his friend's like, no, you're all over the nation. You killed her. Oh, my God. And he's like, what? I did listen to a part of the call. He's not, like, losing his mind, but you can just hear his voice just sink down like like I'm like I screwed how am I gonna get out of this like I need a lawyer I need a lawyer at that time he didn't know about the DNA stuff he didn't know about any of it they he didn't know that he was a suspect suspect he thought he was just brought in for questioning and it was over and then they arrested him because of his warrant and it was over because this was two years later right well two years after her murder but I think when he was taken by them it had been like six months or something like that so here's Emmanuel in another situation. And once again, he can't afford this lawyer. No. So he so has he gets to get the, a court-appointed mm-hmm. lawyer. And this is what, to me, is the craziest of it all. And it makes me really, really mad that they can do this. Emmanuel waited for more than seven years to have his trial. Was he locked up the whole time? He was locked up the entire time. His trial didn't start until Valentine's Day 2017. I guess he originally had a lawyer that was really, really bad, (laughs) public defender. That kind of held something up in the beginning because this guy just wouldn't come and see him. And when Emmanuel was sitting there with him, he literally had his notebook open on another case. And he was like reading the other case while he's supposed to be talking to Emmanuel. So he had to ask for another one. Oh, wow. Thankfully, a public defender, Ben Goldsmith, who made it his mission to take on hard cases, challenging cases, Cases that made him an enemy to prosecutors. Yeah. <laughs> Initially, he wanted to be a police officer, but after spending a week at a public defender's office, he changed his mind. Okay. He knew that cops were corrupt. <laughs> That's so crazy. <laughs> so How crazy. would you ever think that? And he wanted to protect people. He became very passionate about being a public defender. That's and awesome. he knew that Emmanuel was going to have a really hard battle ahead of him. Because he knows how the system works. Yeah. He was black. He had a record. He had no means for a good lawyer. And from his experience, he knew that when murder involved someone who didn't know the person, that typically, especially in being in Redmond, which was rare, that typically there is some sort of injustice being done to the person who was charged. Wow. Ben decided to help. And this was two years into his seven year. Okay. So it took another five years, though, to still get to trial. Our system seems like a very long time. I used to be a nanny for a public defender, and she's amazing. Very passionate, same way, just very passionate about helping people as much as she can. And I remember her throwing a fit because there was this guy who was in the Denver County Jail and he had been there for like a year 
they just forgot about him. Yep, it happens. And he took a bike, a bicycle from in front of someone's house. I have a story. I don't want to go into the details because I think I'm going to do it on this podcast. But there's a really horrible story about a teenager that ended up in similar situations and a death. This is scary. Makes you really, really question everything and everything. Yeah. So after going through all the paperwork and evidence in this case, Ben believed it was racially motivated. Okay. And they let several other suspects that were stronger, stronger, they let them go. Yeah. He believed that Cameron did it. Okay. He said there was way more evidence pointing to Cameron as the main suspect. I agree. Compared from to what I heard. Yeah. yeah. So he really started focusing on the DNA. Okay. It was misused. I wish I had known some of this before we talked about Anthony. Mm-hmm. Because DNA is not the end all be all. But they make it sound that way. Because I was telling you when I was reading the articles about Anthony, they were saying there was like one in a, I think it was like 200 trillion chance that it wasn't his DNA. And I'm like, but how can you say that? So they didn't even have a full profile. They created the profile. That's That's what's fucked up. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. I don't know if you knew that with Anthony Sanchez and it was kicked back. Oh, they all do, though. It depends on the appeals, how many you do and stuff. It eventually gets to that level. And like, that's the last thing you can do. And that's when he gave up. I read that because they were like, well, then he didn't show up for the clemency. But like, it looked like the clemency is it's not going to do anything. And I read something. He was like, I'm not going to go beg for my life again because it's not going to get me anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's when he said, you know, he was like trying to say that he wanted to give peace to the family, that some monster had killed their little girl. He wasn't that monster, but he was defeated. He wasn't going to get out. So he's like, if this makes them feel better, then hopefully my life gives some kind of comfort or whatever. Yeah, is is what he was quoted as saying, like in the weeks before, because everybody was like, he didn't show up to his clemency hearing. That means that he's guilty. That's what I was reading. I'm like, no, I don't think that's it. You need to look at the whole story. Right. I mean, look at what happened to Sean Sellers. Yeah. He had a clemency and people came saying, I would have right. never chose the death penalty if we had other mm-hmm. options. A ton of people came to talk on his behalf. And it didn't it do did anything. Nothing. And, he, and he was a teenager. Yes. And so many of these people have been through so many appeals and they get their hopes right. up and then it gets knocked down. It's just, yeah. Um, so it's just sad situation. Sad, sad. But that's the point. It's been talked about so much that jurors hear the word DNA and they're like, oh, well, then it's him. And once again, we have, as I've said before, we like just bring jurors off of the street that don't have all this background. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, if I'm sitting there, I'm going to be like, oh, my God, I'm sure that this police department did their due diligence. And this is science, right? Right. So his new lawyer really focused on this because he knew Mm -hmm. because the biggest issue here is transferred DNA. Yeah. DNA can be easily transferred. And he did a really good job explaining what DNA actually is to the jurors and how this happens and stuff like that. DNA can be easily transferred. So I need to wear gloves everywhere I go I is what I'm But hearing. then you're still going to touch your face and, you know, like you're just leaving it everywhere. Yeah. We're just dirty humans that leave all of our We're so gross. Right now we're <laughs> losing skin cells and then we're yes. breathing it in. <laughs> right. That's what dust is. I, when right. I learned that, I was like, I don't want to breathe anymore, mom. <laughs> Dead people. <laughs> Dead skin cells. <laughs> we're constantly dying and recycling every moment of every day. Yeah. If you think about it, it's really, really scary because if someone dies, there's a chance that you weren't even there because it transfers. We're putting away people for life and sentencing them to death based on DNA. You could shake hands with someone and then that person goes to kill someone and now your DNA is there because you have touch DNA. Okay. 
So you could shake hands with someone and they could go put their hand on a gun. And yep. now you were part of that gun. Yeah, because you were transferred. And that's or they put their hands around the girl's neck. Right. And you know what? Cameron and Emmanuel were hanging out in a car together. They were. So Cameron could have Emmanuel's DNA on him from like touching his car and listening right. to But CDs he was and in stuff. the apartment, so Yeah. All I mean, of that's it. why he yeah. was there. But Ben knew this, so he explained it really, really well. And we're talking about a sloppy drunk party where everyone was everywhere, but they're yes. pinning it all on the black Emmanuel. Guy. Yep. I was listening to this podcast on this case. It, typically, I don't listen to other podcasts where we're going to be right. covering somebody, but I wanted to because this podcast is like a true podcast because he's an investigative journalist. His name is okay. Matt Share, and he did all the work. He went to Seattle. He met all these people. He tracked them down. He oh, interviewed wow. everybody. Okay. So a lot of the information we have on this case is because of him. Mm. But he was talking about another case talking about DNA uh-huh. in which a tech executive was murdered in Silicon Valley. Okay. And they found DNA under his fingernails and they thought they had the guy. Right. But turns out that guy was in the hospital at the time and it was the transfer from the medical people who were working on him. <gasps> oh Isn't my that God. That is insane. This kid is sick in the hospital and suddenly they're He's like, you murdered murder. this guy. <laughs> it was the medical if, worker. If he wasn't in the hospital, he well, could have gone to jail. Right. Yeah. You know, he had a really strong alibi because he was actually hospitalized. Like I was on an IV. And that's how they found (laughs) out that he didn't do it. It was just the medical people working on him ended up touching the dead guy at some point. Like trust nothing, guys. Like I'm scared now. That's really scary. So before and at the trial, Ben attacked the detectives, their failures and their absurd focus on Emmanuel versus other suspects. Right. He had nine hours of recordings just talking to the first detective. Mm -hmm. And every answer was really ridiculous. At trial, Ben fought the DNA ferociously, pointing out all the other DNA that was found, including Emmanuel's. Right. And that evidence of DNA does not tell us when someone touched something or whether they touched it at all. Right. It just tells us that DNA is on something. It's there. It's there. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean anything. And that's really scary. Very, very, very. Because that's what they kill people for is DNA. And the very fact that your DNA can be on something that you never touched wow, these tests are too sensitive. They're bringing up everybody. Or this needs to be like overwhelming. Like if your DNA is all over the corpse, like it's in like 50 places, then it's obvious. But once again, if it's just like one little like half sequence or whatever, you can't convict. Especially in this case, because stuff was found days later. Like the stuff that's in the trash can with DNA on it. which degraded, yeah. Not only that, like Emmanuel helped clean up that Mm -hmm. day. They're focusing just on him, but there were like 20 other people's DNA on that same thing. Because they had already decided he was the one. And so then they just were building a story to prove that he was the one instead of continuing to investigate. And they do this in so many cases. It's like they don't keep the other leads open because they just want to like move on, get it done. And and I get it. They probably have huge caseloads or whatever. But we're talking about people who are going to go away to jail or die. I know you want to hear something fucked up. Cameron showed up for the prosecutors as a witness against Emmanuel. Yeah. <laughs> That's he, fucked up. Yeah. And he was given immunity, whatever he said, if he accidentally said, oh, crap again or something, <laughs> they couldn't use it against him. But then Emmanuel's lawyer, he did a really good job, like I said, with the DNA and it swayed the jurors. Shit. This is a story in which there's actually a good public defender because we're always talking about these court appointed things. Right. Like, and they suck. If yeah. Anthony had this guy, he, he wouldn't be dead. Yeah. Because I they really could have said this so. is what could have happened. You're right. right. 
Anthony's dead because of trace DNA. Yep. Yet again. Yeah. And he's gone now. And it, if Ben was his lawyer, I really think it could have been turned around. And his last words were, I didn't do I this. I didn't kill anyone. Lawyers. Yeah. You know? Exactly. <sighs> it makes me think back to Anthony too. If his DNA did happen to end up on Julie, if it was his dad, yeah. it makes so much sense yeah. that trace DNA would have yeah. been on something of his dad's. Right. But regardless of everything, the jury couldn't decide. Yeah. So here we are. After a week of deliberations, they were still not unanimous. Okay. And I know it's because of this one guy. Yeah. There was this one guy who was interviewed who was a juror and he was like, well, there was DNA. So oh, he, like he, he, was, he was not grasping. <laughs> like, tunnel vision. Yeah. Like, he was very tunnel visioned about it and he wanted him to go away. He's probably racist. He could have been. Just the way he talked. He's like, it's a black honest. dude. He totally did it. He right. had to be. Let's put him in jail. Yep. So in the end, it was a hung jury and it was declared a mistrial. Okay. So that means that Emmanuel could be tried again if it's right. They did try to get it dismissed. Yeah. But the cops had already spent so many years on it that they're like, no, we have to try him again. Oh, no. And guess who actually came in as support for Emmanuel during this? Hacklemore. Oh, (laughs) that's great. Because they were friends. They grew up friends. Interesting. And he became famous and he found out what was happening to Emmanuel. And he's like, he would not do this. And he knew he was being held. Because at this point, his bell is ridiculous. It's in the seven digits. You know, he can't get out. He's not a man of means. He doesn't have money. He knew his life story. He knew what happened to him. And he wrote a letter to the judges and it's like, just stop this. This is silly. Because he's known for taking on important issues. Yes. So he tried. The judge did consider it and stuff and eventually said, I just, I can't now. We've put too much money, time into this that they need to retry it. But I just thought that was interesting. That was crazy. Small world. I'm going to see Macklemore in a couple of weeks, by the way. <laughs> I have tickets. He's coming to Denver. I love him. Yeah. So he had to wait almost another two years for this second trial. In jail. In jail. So The entire time. Up. But you know what? Other people are not put in jail the whole time while they wait for trial. I know. They just kept him there. I mean, Donald Trump is walking around everywhere right now. <laughs> and he's been indicted, what, 50 his, times his now? His DNA's in my house. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we know he's probably killed people. Come on. <laughs> had people killed. He, All politicians are murderers. Yes, exactly. So his second trial started May 7th, 2019, and it was this time after everything. It did not take him a week this time to decide. The same evidence was provided. Same, same. Everything was the same. And on July 11th, 2019, they decided that they could not convict him beyond a reasonable doubt. And he was finally released. After seven years of living in prison. Well, no, it had been almost nine years. Oh, shit. Nine yeah. years. So yeah. cool. Now he's what behind nine his years. Life. His life. Yeah. And then it shows up on his record. I don't know if it would show up on his record. I guess if he's. He was acquitted. Yeah. He was charged. I don't, does it show up? But like, ch- how do you build charged? a career after, yeah, being in jail for nine years and you're yeah. like prime time of your life to be building a career yeah nine years knowing that you're just waiting for trial that's insane it happens way more than we want to know yeah well just last year emmanuel filed a civil lawsuit against the county the redmond police department the detectives on the case and the prosecutors because he claims if i wasn't black i would have never been in jail it's so fucking true you chose me out of a bunch of people because of this color of my skin you made tons of allegations and you had no proof in reality. And Ben did a really good job of proving that to everybody. Right. Like you don't actually have anything. And Cameron, the white dude next door's DNA is all over the motor oil bottle. 
I'm going to get a little bit more into him in a minute, but his lawyers found out that they were looking at like six other people who had even more evidence. Oh my God. And they just chose him. And left him in jail to rot. left him in jail. And not looked at these other six people. Yeah. That's fucked. He deserves to have that civil suit against them. Yeah. Ben says they ignored and failed to gather evidence that did not align with their theory. Because they're like, it's got to be him. Let's make it work. They failed Arpana. Because here's this family. Who still doesn't know. Who doesn't know. They think it's this guy because that's what they're being told. And now he's let go. And now they have nothing again. Yeah. Their focus on Emmanuel denied Arpana having any chance at justice. Yeah. Because look at this. Now we can't use any of this DNA. And now they got to start a case all the way over against someone else. But even then, what can they use? Right. What can they use? And they also found evidence that just the collecting of DNA was really, really sloppy. They didn't use gloves. I don't know why in 2008 detectives aren't using gloves. That like what the seems fuck? like a no brainer right there. And you know why we know this? They took video. So it was <laughs> of them the, like doing the well, crime they scene. Did, yeah. Because they have like crime scene video. Of I everything. mean, there were budget cuts, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you get one pair of gloves and when you use them up, you're done. But the, the lawyers were just like, I've just never seen a worse case. Like there was nothing to salvage. There's no justice here no. because of how it was handled from the very beginning. But I do want to get into some more details. So we talked about Emmanuel's butt dialing. Right. And I really do think that's possible, especially if it was like a BlackBerry, because those buttons are on the outside. It's not like I a mean, flip phone. I've called 911 on accident on my iPhone so several I. times. So <laughs> I believe it. I have people who still butt dial me to this day. So yeah. And the it fact happens. that the voicemails were so long, it wasn't yes. someone being like, hey, oh, baby, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. yeah. She was like, they were just so long. I had to just eventually get them off my phone. Mm-hmm. It was taking That's space. when you know it's a butt dial. When you get like a three minute <laughs> voicemail, you're You've like. You've butt dialed me several times. Yeah. And I get fine. to hear what you're doing. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> back to Cameron because you brought up Cameron again. I think I'll always come back to him because it's just his actions compared to everyone yeah, else. To me, is the most suspicious. Agreed. The first time he was being interviewed, they noticed that he was limping a little bit. And he had issues with his elbow and his knee. Okay. From Arpana beating up fought back. Arpana. Yeah. He determined this. He said that it was an old wrestling injury. Mm, Not like school wrestling. He said it was with some dude he just met one day named David. And David has no last name conveniently that he couldn't remember. And they just decided to wrestle. That sounds like the shittiest <laughs> like lie. That sounds like something a four-year-old makes up. Oh, yeah. I was wrestling with uh, uh, David the other day. And, and they're like, well, if it's old, have you seen someone about it? <laughs> and he's like, no, my brother's a physical therapy person. And he told me if it wasn't hurting later that I shouldn't do anything about it. And I just I didn't. And I'm like, well, you're what? still limping after years. Yeah, that makes sense. And the are like, I mean, sounds credible. Yeah, sure. sure. He's white, so we're not thinking he's doing anything. All of these guys, I swear. At some point, they did have a warrant to search Cameron's house, house and car. Well, his apartment. What happened to it? You know what they found in his car? Oh. Again, I'm just giving you more evidence, Cameron. Remember, he went to Canada. We're coming for you, Cameron. What was in his car? So they found printouts. And remember when you like print, sometimes it has like oh no the date on it yes it had November first which was the next day of pawn shops near the border in Canada oh my fucking god <laughs> and he's not the guy and that was another big issue that was brought up they said that they called they're like well we called the pawn shops they didn't have a Cameron he I'm would like, have used um, a different name he's literally three hours away from his house. 
They didn't check footage. They didn't do anything. So for all we know, Arp and his phone and everything else was sold to a pawn shop. Yeah. They did not do their due diligence and checking okay. into the pawn shop stuff. It's what I have to say on every episode. Fuck the police, especially your Redmond, Washington police. Yeah. The end. And something else they found <laughs> when they were searching his house. They found a lighter that seemed to have motor oil on it. Oh, my God. Oh, and they didn't that. take it. <laughs> I don't even know what to fucking say. They didn't take it. This is the worst. Like, me and you could have gone in and figured this case out <laughs> better know. than these guys. Like, we have no training and I could have done this. Lighter, motor oil. This dude tried to burn her, remember? Yeah. And his DNA was on the motor oil bottle. And I mean, boom. But they didn't bag the fucking lighter. They're just like, oh, that looks like... That's interesting. Huh? A black, interesting substance on this lighter in his apartment. Nobody ever has motor oil on their lighters, guys. No. Like, Unless you work on cars yeah, for a living maybe, or something. Maybe, but you're not putting a lighter around oil or gas if you're a smart mechanic. There you go. There's that. Okay, he's the also, guy. He's the guy. Case closed. Yeah. Get his also, ass arrested. He has family members and friends who have made comments along the lines... What if I did the murder and don't remember it? Like kind of feeling them out to see if they would still love him or something like very weird. <laughs> He's like, so they're at like Thanksgiving dinner. He's like, let's play this like what would happen if game. <laughs> right. What if I told you that I accidentally murdered in a blackout my next door neighbor and I burned her and like he goes into all the details. I mean, would you still like love me? Maybe he had a psychotic break because she He's was a, yeah. denying him. He Rejection. really wanted her, yeah. it seemed like. Or he just had a break and he really truly doesn't, doesn't remember, remember doing her. it. Yeah. He was off his meds. But it's just a strange sequence of events trying to burn her. It doesn't there was sound a, like... There's a huge attempt at cleanup, bleach everywhere. And it sounds like he in also the trash can. tried to maybe assault her but didn't follow through. Yeah, like it sounds like somebody in so a manic, weird. weird psychological state, right? Yeah. The whole thing. I don't know. And then he's trying to clean up all that. And then he just goes and throws the shit in the like local dumpster. Yeah. The first place. I mean, the very first place anyone's going to look. But he took her stuff too. How do you, what do you do? You wake up in the morning. You're like, oh, why do I have Arpana's stuff? It could be. He could have woken up and gone Where's back the over bike? there. I never got conclusion on that. What happened to the motorcycle? I Maybe got he went no conclusion. He pawned that. that in Canada. <laughs> I mean, maybe that is what he did. Fuck. Nobody knows because they didn't look into it. He literally was the guy from day one. <laughs> but but when they let him go, now all the evidence is destroyed. And I mean, not well, probably. They could probably still convict this guy if they really went back and looked. I mean, fuck, he could have stuff still in his apartment. Maybe that lighter's still there. <laughs> <laughs> He's not in an apartment anymore. Wherever he, he lives. Now he moved and... He's living his life while Emmanuel was like locked up for nine years. I feel like it's Cameron. Sorry. I do feel like it's Cameron I don't Cameron know too. what else would make sense. I mean, I'm going to give you some a couple, random. We don't know. I'm going to give you a couple other options. I mean, they're funny options to me. But it's not Emmanuel. It's not Emmanuel. I do not think it's Emmanuel. It could have still been Neil. He's a guy. Family covers for family. He was walking for three hours. Remember, he had <laughs> yeah. a pretty solid alibi. Well, the only reason they know that he had that was the cigarettes he bought. Cigarettes he bought. Yeah. I think he's probably not it. Yeah. He's just a douchebag. Could have been a motorcycle guy. Could have been. He could be lying about their relationship. You never know. Yeah. It literally could be anybody, though, if you think about it. Okay, we're going back to the DNA. Everywhere. It was everywhere. But Cameron was going to Canada out of the blue. Like, you don't just I wake up. I keep trying to come up with something else. <laughs> you don't wake up and go, hmm, I think I'm going to go to Canada today. Let me print out some things about the pawn shops there. And people saw him in her doorway at yeah, 3 a.m. 
Yeah. And he called her. And he is known like to have psychological issues and was off his meds. I'm sorry. It just kind of makes sense. <sighs> Why is it when it's so obvious that the police are like, oh, we don't think it's him. They're like, hmm. let's look over there. There's a black guy. Maybe it's him. <laughs> it's got to be him. Yeah. Totally him. Not this guy that has no. everything else against him. Right. I said I was going to bring up a couple other people, but that's because there are some people online who are trying to say, well, it, maybe it's a serial killer type of person. Okay, let's so hear it. I, don't, I, I already am like, I'm probably not going to believe well, this. Well, they're not the greatest it. leads. But at the time, there was a serial rapist, Mark oh. O'Leary, who was in the area. Okay. He's kind of scary. I might have to cover him at some point because his crimes were not only in Seattle. They were here in Denver. Oh, fuck. He's dead now? No, he's in jail. Okay, good. There's a Netflix special about him, actually. Have you seen it? It's called Unbelievable. Oh. I, I remember watching that and just like, I know oh. him. That would be a great story to cover yeah. if you haven't seen it, audience. like Yeah. That one made me so angry. I know. So angry. So he raped women yep. in Washington and Colorado from 2008 to 2011 before he was caught. Cops didn't believe the first girl who came forward. It was horrible. It was horrible. Yeah. Shocker. He was in Seattle at the time. But that guy didn't kill his victims. He just raped that and left. That we know of because his rapes, though, were super duper violent. And in the cases in Seattle, guess what he liked to use to bind them? Shoelaces. You never know. Some could have been because they were violent rapes. They're very violent rapes. And if the girl fights back. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's not his intention to kill them, but I wouldn't be surprised if he has. We'll never know, though, unless he comes forward about it. Yeah, he was sentenced to 327 years. and a half years. Yeah. yeah, so he's in jail. But he was a rapist more than a, I don't know. I think that's a stretch. Keep going. Yeah. But yes, someone to cover. I mean, I'm sure we would get all into the feels if we do that one. <laughs> I know. You're going to see me in a different yeah. light. Okay, so the other one is a serial killer. His name's Israel Keys. I want to cover him too. Okay. I feel like I've heard his name. He is no longer with us though. He bowed out himself in prison. Okay. Happens. But he's believed to have killed at least 11 people mm -hmm. that we know of. He was also a rapist. Okay. He was a burglar. He was a bank robber. He was a kidnapper. He was an arsonist. He did it all. Okay. But I'm like, if you're an arsonist, then you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. <laughs> you're not using motor oil. Right. <laughs> you're using lighter fluid. But he just he just did it all. But he was confirmed to be in the area at the same time as well. Okay. Which is scary okay remember last night at the concert ah, i looked at jessica I and i said how many serial killers are in this room right now because there were so many people there and then so me and her just standing <laughs> there and i was like five and we just started pointing people out yeah we're, that was we, kind of bad we were we but been drinking. that's scary <laughs> it is when this happened to her there were two known crazy people that they couldn't just catch two. they're just like two that we knew of they're like it, you know it could have been one of these other lunatics that were running roaming around the area and they're because, just walking the streets these and people. you know what right now there's probably three or four in denver or your next door neighbor like cameron that's why i don't want to know my neighbors could be your next door neighbor just like cameron I am the same way. I yeah. don't want to know my neighbors because then I'm going to give them a reason to not like me and then maybe like call the HOA on me or murder me. Yeah. It just puts things into perspective. Yeah. That at any moment you're right next to someone who's capable of stuff like this. It is. You never know if you could be the lucky person who is on the other end of their crazy craziness. Yeah. But Emmanuel is free. Well, that's good because I don't think he did it. So I don't think he did it. He's still in the process of the whole suing. Yes. So I don't know the yeah. outcome of that yet. I think it started last year. Mm -hmm. 
But you can tell that, you know, you just can't go back to normal life after this. Like, he's no. trying, he's, but he's depressed. He has this feeling like he's going to die soon. So that's not helping because his mom died young. And he, I think just growing up, he felt like he wasn't going to make it past her age. Yeah. It was just this thing deep down in him. And he's having a really hard time. Like, he doesn't want to connect with anybody. Like, he has people who are reaching out to him from his previous life before this. But he's like, I don't trust anybody. They didn't no. come and see me. Nobody talked to me when I was in jail for nine years. I had nobody but my aunt, my uncle. That's all I had. And I don't want to be friends with people who weren't there for there me. For me. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I just, I go to work. He's a security guard at night. And I come home. His biggest accomplishment is he bought himself a car and he's really proud of that. But at the same time, he's scared to drive his car with his name attached to that license plate because any cop could decide to pull his license plate because they see a black guy sitting in there and they're going to look at what he was charged for. And he's like, it's scary to own a car. Like we've talked about what it's like to live as a woman in America and how different it is. And I... I feel so bad for the minorities in the country, especially black men, because they are profiled, just like you said, just driving down the road. They know if they get pulled over, there is a chance. Yep. They're not going home. It's really sad. You know, I found out that when he was in jail, because he was in the county jail, you're not supposed to stay there. No, that's not even it has no services. Right. I think for six of those years, he was kept in isolation. I mean, that does a number. They've proven what that does on your brain. Yeah. This is so familiar to the story that I am going to put into our schedule. Okay. About a young boy who got arrested and held for trial for way, 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 way too long. Yeah. And it happens. And he died in jail. Yeah. Oh, no. It's like the saddest story I've ever heard. Yeah. So therefore, I must bring it to us. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) We must cover all the bad. Because that's what we do. But you have to talk about these guys if they're not it because you're just ruining another life. Thank God this public defender gives a shit about his job. Yeah. And he doesn't care if he pisses people off. And that's the type of people you need to defend you in these cases. And that doesn't always happen. Happen. We've seen. Yeah. More than not, it doesn't happen. Yeah. But Arpanat, she had accomplished so much. I know. Already. And she loved it there. And she was riding a motorcycle. She was a badass She was girl. having the time of yeah. her life. And she was telling her friend that night that like. I know that's maybe so sad. In a way, I'll think of it in this way is that she got to experience that yeah. life, even though it was brief. She got to get out of India and experience yeah. that life a little bit and see that glimpse of hope before yeah. she died. At least they held a memorial for her in Bellevue. It was a lot of people from the apartment Mm -hmm. because she was friends with them. She made friends with her apartment people, work and the PNW writers. And Rachel said, even though she was sitting there talking about memories of Arpana and stuff, she said there was a moment when she was sitting there and she's like, the killer could be here right now. Yep. And they do show up to the funerals many times. And she had a really hard time after that. Not thinking about that. You're like, who's lying right now? She knows the killer. Right. But she does not think for one second it was Emmanuel. Yeah. But what was sad is you have this murder and they're trying to figure stuff out in her religion, her culture. There's very specific things you need to do with the body. Oh, no. And her family wanted her back. And so there was a lot of trouble getting her home mm. and having to do the autopsy and everything at the same time so that they could try and solve her murder. But they had to go through a lot of red tape just to get their daughter back. And they had to pay like something like eight grand to get yeah. her shipped to them. So that's a shitty thing that they had to deal with just to have some closure. And at the time they were living, I guess they were renting a place. Her family, this is just extra information. The landlord, whoever, didn't want her body to be in the house. 
So they had to go find somewhere else that they could keep her body for a little bit so they could have their services for her. Right. The whole thing is just really It's just a tragic, tragic. Yeah. Yeah. But they did have this really huge service for her and there were reporters and stuff and all they said was the family was inconsolable. Of just course. Absolutely of inconsolable. Course and her can poor you, little sister too. Can you imagine like as parents, like they sent her overseas for a better life or, you know, a chance at seeing something new and this is what happens. Like you I would know. feel so much guilt for the rest of your life that you didn't keep your child close at home. I know. They probably are not going to let her little sister go anywhere. No. You know what I found out too is just that year alone in 2008, five exchange students from Hyderabad, where she's from, died here. They were murdered. In America? Yeah. That's crazy. I know. I'm like, that would be scary. I wouldn't want to send my kid anywhere. No. I know you're going to be doing something similar yeah. at some point, and that's scary. My child wants to go overseas to Europe. Yeah. But I'm only sending my kids where, like, I mean, I, although, you know, India, they're probably like, America's safe. But we live here, and I know that America's not as safe as most places in Europe. Honestly, nowhere <laughs> is. Nowhere is safe. There's that's crazy, just the reality There's of crazy life. fucked up people everywhere, and yeah. you just have to teach your child to be as aware as possible. And That's all we can do. But none of us are safe. Like nope. I'm the most aware person out there, I think, but I know that I'm very vulnerable because I'm five foot two and somebody can take me down real easy That's if they true. want to, no yeah. matter what. She's always the little one when we I go can't, places. <laughs> I can't see if I stand on the concert floor. And if so. I dare to wear any heels at all, I'm all like, You're like gigantic. tower over <laughs> you. so funny. I used to wear like six inch heels to be taller, but I can't walk on them anymore. No, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> Too old. My hip starts hurting. <laughs> like I'll just fall. The one time I tried to recently, I fell and That's my right. knee's broken That's still. Right. <laughs> I really need to go get that looked up. But I'm kind of like, oh, I'm like Cameron now. I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> Don't get arrested for killing a guy or something. And they'll be like, what's Why wrong with you? your knee? And I'm like, I broke it a you're long like, time ago and it still hurts. Like, I didn't do anything about it. It's a real funny story. I was in Vegas. I was just wearing platform hills and I fell over. And yeah. they're like, that sounds real suspicious. <laughs> suspicious. <laughs> that reminds me of us standing there at the concert because <laughs> we were like trying to not be noticed. And she was doing something <laughs> funny. And I was like, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. And then we both started singing it. And then we looked really obvious. <laughs> and we were so obvious. If there was a security guard there, they would have known we well, should I not already, be there. I already knew because one of the guys, the security guys, he told us. He told us we to go up there. Go up there. But I don't think he meant that area. <laughs> but at one point we were standing there and I caught eyes with him and he gave me this little like really girls. But he didn't do anything He didn't about give a fuck. It. He's like, yeah. whatever, have a good time. You're not yeah. hurting anybody. And that's how it should be. If you're yep. not hurting anybody, mm-hmm. whatever. It was fun. It was. So that's this story, though. This was a real interesting story, like, to hear. I knew nothing about it. And, yeah. And we would have never found this case, probably, if we hadn't decided to look I mean, for it's Halloween. A, it's a really frustrating it's case. It's super frustrating because I feel like there's, like, this obvious guy that they didn't do enough diligence on that they could have caught and, like, mm-hmm. given justice to this poor family that probably will, honestly, at this point, we'll probably never know. Ben did such a good job of arguing like you can't use the DNA at all. So yeah. even even if they were to try and go after someone else like Cameron, no. short of a confession, I don't really see how they can go after anybody now. No. And that's really, really shitty. But I'm glad Emmanuel's out. Yes. It's frustrating because of what he had to do to, to get yes. out. Washington doesn't have a death penalty. We know that okay. from the I-5 that's killer. Good. So he wouldn't have died, but he could have been locked away forever. Yeah. But being locked away forever, you can still have the chance to appeal. And what I found out is really fucked up about the initial jurors on the first trial for him. That guy that I kind of brought up. Yeah. 
he was saying, well, let's just sentence him. He can always appeal. I'm like, you're oh acting like it would be God. easy to get out or prove your innocence after that. No. I don't know what who that guy you? is, but I my idea is just that he was a racist asshole. So yeah, fuck him. I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just put him away just in case. And then he can if get out later. it's not really him, he can try and fight it later. I'm like, I want to go home and go to bed. Is that what you would want, dude, if you were on trial? Seriously. Somebody just lock you away? Yeah. Ugh. People. But that's it. All done. I'm glad it didn't end like it did for Anthony. Me but too. it shows you again how fucked up everything is. And why the death penalty should not exist because there's it always exist. and DNA, man. Yeah. DNA. That's scary. That's real scary. That's the scariest thing of all. Well, we always bring you guys the controversial cases. Yeah. That's what we do. We'll have another one next week. And yep. it's another Halloween themed one. Yay. There you go. Go check us out on our socials. You know where we are. Please send in your stories to lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com. We have another lab reports coming up soon. Check us out on Patreon. And go on your favorite platform wherever you listen to us. And please, please rate us. Please. Leave comments. Yep. That's it. Happy October. Happy October. Oh, I didn't even tell Kendra, but I bought myself pumpkin spice creamer and it's all right. It's all right. That's all you got. <laughs> well, I don't think, I think it's the coffee because I drink that mushroom coffee. Oh yeah. It probably yeah. doesn't blend real well. <laughs> it doesn't blend well, but um, cool. there we go. She's trying. Happy spooky times, guys. Happy October. We'll, we'll see, see you, you soon. Later. Bye. Bye bye. Oh, stay s- lucid. <laughs> I was gonna say, oh, by the way, stay lucid. <laughs> don't forget to stay lucid. <laughs> And if a cop shows up at your door and says you killed someone and you know you did not, go find Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Bye. Bye.